We're in chapter 5. We'll be in the first 11 verses of Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah 5 verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Again I lifted my eyes and saw, behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width width, 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side. And whoever swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, What is it? What is it? He said, This is the basket that is going out. And he said, this is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between the earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, Where are they taking the basket? He said to me, To the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and the word, but the word of our Lord stands forever. It seems as I look at the world around us, as I see even uh, popular culture to some degree, that the idea of evil tends to be something that is fascinating to people. I I don't get it, but people love these movies that terrify them, right? Uh, This graphic, they have these graphic depictions of all manner of evil. I'm a wimp. I don't like it. I don't get it. Uh, but you see them more and more, I think, you, you think of further back, going further back, movies like Exorcist and Poltergeist. And I feel like every, every day I'd turn around and there's a new kind of one of those movies out of some, I don't know, they call, I guess they call them slasher movies. These, I don't know. I don't get them. Or the, or the extra Poltergeist or all these haunting movies. And people are fascinated with them. We, I mean, we see that they're fascinated with them, or they wouldn't continue to make the movies because they seem to do well, right? But evil is something that we all have to contend with. In the Bible, we see a picture of this sinister reign of evil. It's a disease in the human race. It's a disease that eventually, ultimately lead to death. Interestingly, as we consider evil in the sense of uh, these horror pictures, I think we can actually say that the evil in this world is far more scary. It's far more scary. 
Zechariah here for us is dealing with the reality of evil. But even as he's dealing with the reality of evil, he's given a word of hope. We see a God who is greater than the evil in this world. Uh, This we'll see here is the sixth and seventh of our eight visions. And what's the theme of these vision, of these two visions? I think we can look at them like this. Where God dwells, the plague of sin and evil must be removed. Uh, In this vein, I want us to see three things. Now, since I've been a minister here at Lakewood, I've never actually done this, and I'm going to do it today. I was reading a commentary, and there were three points, and I couldn't get them out of my head. But I'm going to fully acknowledge that they're not my three points. Uh, the context in between is my, is my information, but uh, it was such a, a good three concise breakup of, these, of this text. Uh, and I, so I'll give credit to Richard Phillips. He broke it down like this. Sin discovered, sin judged, and sin removed. I should have never read it before I had my points because once I got there, I was like, there's no better way to say it than that. Sin discovered, sin judged, and sin removed. So let's begin by looking at sin discovered. We see this in the flying scroll. Zechariah and and all prophetic, prophetic visions tend to be bizarre. And so we get this again. We have this bizarre imagery. There's this scroll that is going out across the land. It's a flying scroll. And if we were to look at prophetic literature and scripture, we see uh, that this is often used. It's used in uh, Ezekiel. It's used in Jeremiah. And they appear as messages to the leaders of God's people. Uh, Either that chastisement is coming for the nation or chastisement is coming for the world. Now, this is not the same as like if I'm upset at my daughter and I throw a toilet paper roll at her. It's a scroll flying across, right? No. That was meant to be somewhat of a humorous imagery. But y'all don't always laugh. Either I'm not funny or y'all don't get it. <laughs> I'm going to go with I'm not funny. Uh, the, well, that was funny. <laughs> uh, the image would have made Zachariah uneasy because unlike a toilet paper roll flying through the house, uh, he understood this imagery. He understood that this meant chastisement was coming. And we remember Zechariah is prophesying to the post-exile nation. The nation that has left Babylon has gone back to Jerusalem. And now we see this imagery of chastisement. And certainly this would have been troubling. This would have been worrying. In the scroll, we see several things. First, we see that two of our Ten Commandments are represented here. He says on one side of the scroll, it's those who are stealing. It's going to go out and judge those who are stealing. On the other side of the scroll are those who bear false witness, who tell lies. And so we see here our eighth and our ninth commandment. And in a sense, I think, without maybe stretching it too terribly much... But we also see this kind of two-sided aspect of the law. The two, uh, the tablet, as you know, was two-sided. Love of God, love of neighbor. And there's a, a notion here where this judgment brings, or this scroll, I should say, brings the law. And as it brings the law, it brings judgment. Uh, the commentator Meredith Klein says it this way, talking about God's people. They repudiate Yahweh. King of glory, 
prostituting themselves to the love of the glory of the world, to the worship of mammon. These sins would change the holy community into something indistinguishable from the world. They would turn Jerusalem into Babylon. Therefore, the king of Zion sends the cursed scroll over the whole face of the land to excise, to remove evil. This word excise, which comes from exer, or we see it in exorcism. It's the removing of evil. This scroll, as our point here, is talking about sin that is discovered. It goes throughout the land. It sees those who have sinned. It discovers sin wherever it may be. All right. Let's think about that for a second. It discovers sin wherever it is. This can be somewhat of a troubling thought, can't it? It discovers sin wherever it is. I think few of us today really believe that. Really believe that our sin, all our sin will be found out. I think we tend to live with this notion. A better portion of my sin is going to go undetected. And even if it is found out, most people aren't going to care. We live in a largely sin-tolerant society. We live a sin-tolerant existence. But this passage says no sin, not one sin, will go undetected. The uh, theologian A.W. Pink says this, Nothing can be concealed from God. Though he be invisible to us, we are not so to him. Neither the darkness of night, the closest curtains, nor the deepest dungeon can hide any sin from the eyes of omniscience. We are right to feel uneasy when God's eyes bear down upon us. He will see our sin. All of our sin. We even see this in the dimensions of the scroll. He says, I see, I see a length of 10 cubits and width of 10 cubits. Well, this roughly means 30 feet by 50 feet. Uh, when I, this came to my mind, it made me think of, and I actually looked it up because I was curious, of an airplane, right? And airplane planes, they pull those long banners. And a pretty common uh, dimension was, I think it was like, 30 by 80. So you think about one of those long banners being pulled by the planes. Usually, you know, if you're at the beach, it says, hey, you can get crabs here and they're real good. Um, You think about that going out across the face of the earth, not being pulled by any plane, just going. It's like a billboard. But interestingly, we also see that these exact dimensions were the dimensions of the holy place in the temple. Not the holy of holies, not the... uh, most sacred place, but the part right before that, it is the exact same dimension as the holy place. We see here, it reminds us that what determines what is sin is God. We, as individuals, as people, are not the ones who create moral reality. 
no matter how hard we want to, no matter how much that would be great if we could, if we could pick and choose what is right and what is wrong. To know sin and to know ourselves as sinners, we must understand God and who and what he is. Sadly, sadly, we live in an age of relativism. We live in an age of relativism. What was wrong yesterday is tolerated today and tomorrow will be approved. We no longer call sin, sin. As theories change, as our tastes change, so do our morals. His standards don't become our standards. To understand what true sin is, we have to base our standards on his holy character as revealed in his law. Here's the hard truth. When it comes to anything that we're doing, the world may approve it. The government may allow it. The culture may applaud it. But if God identifies it as sin, it will be discovered. The scroll will come out the land and it will say, this is sin. This is contrary to the law of God. No sin will be left undiscovered. And as that sin is discovered, we see our second point. Sin will be judged what happens when God's law or violation I should say of God's law is seen is found God's curses are sent forth we have to understand here that this scroll is a curse this scroll represents judgment Deuteronomy 11 26 through 28 says this see I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, but turn aside from the way that I have commanded you today to go after other gods that you have not known. There are two realities, the blessing and the curse. The scroll reveals God's hostility towards sin and the sinner. Another commentator says it this way. I know I'm quoting a lot of commentators today, but there's some really good quotes. We have so sentimentalized the deity that we do not believe he would curse anyone or any lifestyle. But the prophets know better. God demands obedience to his commandments and he will settle for nothing less. Presented with less He does indeed eat away at the structure of of a disobedient life. Like a leprous mold or an unseen moth or a penetrating dry rot, our illness and our anxiety, our disordered relationships and broken homes, our servitude and murderous societies are symptomatic of his unseen but judging presence. Sin is cursed by God because God is holy. 
God hates sin and he cannot ignore sin without compromising his own holiness. This is the truth and the reality of the judgment. Sin is something that is real and it will be judged. This is the reality that this world and I think at times even ourselves will come to a rude awakening. I entitled this somewhat brilliantly and comically, uh, this sermon, When the Scroll is Called Up Yonder. And we sang this morning, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. And and the hymn uh, talks about that day, that last day, when we will stand before our God, when he will call our name off this roll, and we will enjoy fellowship with him forever. And it's a beautiful and it's a wonderful truth, isn't it? But there's another side to it, isn't there? Because the scroll still goes out. If the reality for those who are in Christ is eternal life and eternal eternity with him, the opposite is true for those who are apart from him. And that scroll goes out. And in the last day, it will bring its judgment on the unrighteous. We live in a time that does not like this notion of judgment. I saw somewhat humorously uh, this week. It was the passage I can't even remember where, off the top of my head. I believe it's in Matthew. A Sermon on the Mount somewhere. Five and six somewhere. And it, and it had a modern day reading of scripture. And it, and it had the actual text there. And all you could see was judge not lest you be judged. And everything else around it was like scrubbled out. And it was meant to be humorous, right? Because the reality is the world says you can't judge me. But then they don't deal with the rest of scripture that's around it, right? They're not dealing with it. They just want you to say you can't judge me. We live in a time that does not like judgment. We don't like even ourselves being told when we are wrong. We want to live however we want. We want to not be confronted with our sin. And this is no less true in the church, is it? We in the church are just as guilty of this. So I could sit here and I could say things like this. You need to be in church and not take a Sunday off. You need to be faithful to your spouse You need to put God in front of your family and your jobs. You need to stop talking about people behind their backs. You need to stop standing in judgment when you refuse to deal with the sin in your own heart. And then we may stop back a second and say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about the world and their sin. We have to respond to the law as well. When we start moving from talking to people to start talking about people, it's a problem. And this doesn't mean that we as a church, as any churches, are not allowed to stand for truth. But we also cannot be hypocrites. We need to speak the truth in love. And that includes doing the same to ourselves. Sin will It will be judged. Even for those who are in Christ on the last day, we will give an account for the life that we live. But then we see beautifully and we see wonderfully 
and confusingly, I should add, the seventh vision. Zechariah begins here and he says, well, there's a basket. In the ba- inside the basket, there's a woman. Inside, on top of the basket, there's a cover and there's a weight. And then we get these two other women and they got stork wings. And they're going to come and they're going to fly the basket away. Okay. <laughs> so it's crazy talk, right? <laughs> it's crazy talk what's going on here. But really what we see here is a picture of sin being removed. What is the point of this seventh vision? Well, first and foremost, we have to say this. It, it's not uh, the response of Adam. Adam said, well, it's this woman you gave me, right? It's not that the person in the basket, whatever she represents, is a woman. Uh, it's, that's not the problem. And even if you want to blame it on the woman, man, you can. It's your fault. <laughs> it's not that sin is something happening out there, Right? It's not that sin is just out there and it's other people doing it. That's not the point. It's that sin is done by sinners, by people all around me and by me, by you. Yes, this woman in this basket, she represents wickedness. She represents sinfulness. Our sinfulness. We see a point here that I think at times is hard for us to really hear. It's often said, and I think partially rightly, well, God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. And we like that saying, don't we? We like it because it makes us somewhat feel good about ourselves. But this is only true in part. We have to add this. God hates sinners or sin, but he hates, but he does not hate the sinner that repents. God's wrath burns against our sin, but it also burns against us as well. This is the sad reality. Hell is not full of sin, is it? Hell is full of sinners. There is a judgment that is real. If we are in Christ, then God looks at us and he says, yes, I hate the sin in you, but I love my son in you. But only if we are in Christ. And this is the picture that we see here. We see wickedness put in a basket. Then we see these two women with stork wings in in the Near East in this time. uh, Storks were known for strong wings and long migration. They're aided by the breath of God. Breath, ruach, that Hebrew word both means wind and it also means spirit. The spirit of God who moves them along. They take this basket that is wickedness and they take it to the land of Shinar. In the Revelations 17, we see this as being Babylon. Uh, the point is this, whether Shinar or Babylon, this is outside of the realm of God. Sin is removed from the realm of God. This is a beautiful thing that's going on here, isn't it? 
Because sin will be discovered. Sin will be judged. But sin will also be removed. It is taken away. Now this can happen one of two ways. Can't it? If we are unrepentant and we are sinners, what happens to us? We are taken away. But if we are in Jesus, then our sin is taken and we are left. In a sense, we can look at the world around us and we can say, well, this is wonderful. But we see that this hasn't happened yet. In fact, I look at this world and I look at those around me and I see... You've given me these points that sin is discovered, but I don't see that sin's being discovered. You say that sin's going to be judged, but I don't see that judgment on sin. You say sin is going to be removed, but I see wickedness and I see sinfulness all around me. And it's not only around me, but it's prospering. And that's true. God has yet to put an end to all sin. Bible and this passage informs us about what he is doing, about what he has began in Christ and what he is finishing. God's kingdom is incompatible with sin. Scripture says, be holy because I am holy. And the vision tell us, tells us the ultimate end, the removal of sin from the world, God's city being cleansed. Judgment is coming and we have to deal with sin or we will be cast into hell. John Witherspoon, I mentioned him before the service this morning. Uh, He was a relative of, uh, I just lost his name. He he did the, the sinners in the hands of an angry God. Come on, someone's got it, right? Jonathan Edwards, thank you. My brain just shut down. And you think of Jonathan Edwards and you put him in this time where he is preaching this kind of fire and brimstone, right? We think of that fire and brimstone preachers and you say, well, pastor, you sound this morning very fire and brimstone like. That's the reality of scripture. I'm not trying to come down and I'm not trying to uh, be a downer, but this is the reality of sin. Judgment is a certainty, If we do not repent, we will be cast into hell. But there is hope in Jesus Christ. Sin can be removed through the blood of our Savior. This is what Jesus does for us. That scroll is coming across the sky and he reaches up. He reaches up and he catches it. This judgment, this condemnation... And he takes it upon himself. He never violated the law. So he is alone is the one who can do it. He who perfectly lived the law took our condemnation upon himself on the cross. Our sins are paid through his blood. This vision communicates a grim message. And it's a message that we need desperately. As we look at the world around us, as I look even at myself, I must understand this truth. Sin will be discovered. Sin will be judged. 
And if I am not in Christ, I will be removed with that sin. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Where do you stand? Where do you stand this day? Are your sins still upon you? Are your sins still upon you? If Jesus Christ, and I pray that you do, comes back this moment, where do you stand? Will you be heaped into the basket and taken far from his presence? Do you resent the fact that God is staring at you, watching you? There is a God. Your sins will be discovered. But hope, hope remains. Paul in Romans 5, I'm going to read 5, 6, and then I'm going to read 5, 8 in concession here in order. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You cannot hide your sin from God. Your sin will be found out. But this, but Paul says something beautiful here. While you are a sinner, not once you've gotten your life together, not once you figured it all out, not once when you were able to beat sinfulness out of your life, then Jesus comes to you. No, that's not when Jesus comes to you. While you were a sinner, while you were living in death and trespasses and sin, Christ died for you. Isn't that a beautiful and wonderful thing? It's the greatest hope that remains for us. Yes, we cannot escape judgment. This world cannot escape the judgment that is coming. But if you confess them, if you turn to Christ in faith, you will have your sins removed from you. They will be placed on his cross. On the cross of Jesus Christ, they are thrown into the basket. They were removed from the kingdom of God. They were removed from the presence of God. And it is only there, it is only there that you will be found perfectly clean, perfectly holy. Sin is a real thing. I know we don't like to think of it as a real thing. But it is. It is a real thing. It's an evil that is all around us. And if we're not in Jesus, then it's a sin that is living and residing in us. Any sin we have, it's going to be discovered. It's going to be judged. It's going to be removed. How will you be judged? We come to this table. This wonderful, beautiful table. And this table represents Christ. His taking on that judgment for sins. And we cannot hope, we cannot hope to stand apart from him. It's my hope for you. 
And it's the only hope that I rest on. It's the only hope that brings me here each and every day, that brings me to this pulpit. That when the scroll goes out, that I will be judged in Christ. That is the wonderful, beautiful truth of the gospel. The one who has come and has removed my sins. I've said it and I'll say it again. We live in hard times. Times that are calling sin okay. Not only are they ignoring sin, but they're approving sin. And it will be easy, would be easy for us in small ways to buy into that practice. We can look at the world around us and say, well, at least I'm not that, right? But even our sins will be discovered. Let us rest, excuse me, in the shed blood of the Lamb, broken for us. Know this hope, know this truth, turn to him. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father,